Please be seated. I'd like for you to get your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1. Or your smartphones or your iPads to Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 26. And while you're doing that, uh, we're going to do something uh, special tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to meet over in the fellowship hall because we're going to be getting ready over here in the auditorium this afternoon for the, uh, the Christmas Eve devotional. And again, just one more invitation to everyone here tonight uh, or to uh, this morning to, to come and to be a part of that uh, tomorrow afternoon. It, it, it will be a blessing to you. But tonight we are going to be meeting over in the fellowship hall and we're in for a treat tonight because I, I was thinking of, of what we would call uh, if, if there was kind of a theme for our assembly tonight and I thought maybe we could call it uh, the alumni night. But uh, some of the guys that are going to be involved in leading our assembly tonight uh, uh, are not in college. Some of them have graduated. Uh, I thought, well, maybe we can call it the prodigal son night. But it didn't quite sound right, you know, <laughs> the prodigal son coming home and, and leading worship tonight. So what we're going to call it tonight are the uh, the dudes that come home for Christmas assembly tonight and uh, uh, a lot of uh, these young men that are have gone away to college some of them uh, in graduate school some of them have already graduated and and are in their vocation uh, these guys have come home to be with their family and to be with us they're here with us this morning uh, Hudson Hutchinson's going to be preaching for us tonight uh, I, I know you're going to really be blessed by him. He just has graduated from Oklahoma Christian and has entered the ministry. We're looking forward to hearing him tonight. Others are going to be involved uh, as well. And I hope that you'll come tonight and uh, support these guys as we worship God together over in the fellowship hall at 6 o'clock tonight. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, how grateful we are that you have given us this opportunity to express in such such humbling ways uh, in the beauty of the human voice how, how great you are in every aspect of your nature and in your interaction with us. We're just so overwhelmed. Words like magnificent and, and overflowing and overwhelming, these, these words, Father, uh, they, they touch the hem of the garment in trying to express to you the greatness of the emotion that we feel in this moment. Knowing that, that your Son, as a fact of history, came into this world as one of us and lived among us without sin, without blemish upon His character, and was willing in love, Father, and, and in compassion and mercy through the giving of His own life to open a door for us to be back into relationship with You for all of eternity. And what we're thankful for, Father, is, is that you, you never allow that emotion to grow cold within our hearts when we come together and we sing in spirit and in truth and study Your Word with eyes that see and ears that hear. Bless every one of us this morning, Father, with a renewed and an awakened sense of the mystery and the awe and the glory of the birth of Jesus. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
We begin with verse 26. Bibles open. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How would this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is God's Word. What this uh, this text that I just read you about is, it's about a young woman who is getting married. It's a very pivotal moment in this young woman's life. Some of you are getting ready for this. Some of you have already been through it. But you know that it's a very, very busy time. It's very stressful. And Mary doesn't need more things to think about. I mean, typically what happens is that when somebody decides, at least in our own culture, to get married, somebody, usually the bride, usually the bride and her mother, go out and they buy a bridal magazine. Someone has to put together the wedding. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. Does anybody here have any idea how many magazines there are that are for brides? They are as many as the East is from the West. (laughs) You have the American Wedding Guide, the Asian Bride Online, BB Magazine, Bliss Bridal Guide, Bride Again for Encore Brides, Brides, Cape Cod Bride, Chicago Bride, Elegant Bride, Indie Bride, Irish Weddings Online, Manhattan Bride, Modern Bride, New England Bride, New Hampshire Bride, New Jersey Bride, New Jersey Bride. I just hope they don't make a show out of that. (laughs) Perth Bride, Southern Bride, Southern New England Weddings, Today's Bride, Wed World, Wedding Planner and Guide, Wedding Solutions, and last but not least, Weddings Style. Man, that's a lot of magazines. And I can't help but wonder, where is the magazine that is for the groom? Has anybody ever been over to Barnes & Noble and heard this young man ask one of those assistants, say, where do I find the groom magazine section over here? I don't seem to find any. I mean, there aren't any. There aren't any camouflage groom. 
There's not any barbecue pit and bridegroom magazine. There just aren't any. You know, I heard this guy once say that, uh, you know, that bridegrooms are kind of like bathrooms in an art museum. you got to have them, but nobody goes there to look at them. <laughs> you know, when I was in college, it, it was pretty easy. You could always tell when a girl got engaged. I mean, all of a sudden that hand was up like this, and she's walking around you know, going to class with that hand. She wanted you to see that ring. It was an exciting time, but it was also a stressful time, a busy time. But for Mary, this is not going to be a typical, a typical wedding. There's a lot, of, a lot of writing in recent years out of, out of uh, Old Testament uh, Jewish history that makes some of the scholars think that this particular young woman, this Mary, the mother of Jesus, was part of a group in Judaism known as the Anawim. As a kind of a strange name, it's fun to say, but a little, little mysterious. Who are the Anawim? Well, the, the, the idea of the Anawim comes from Psalm 149 and verse 4. This is just a one, one example. But Psalm 149 says, For the Lord takes delight in His people. He crowns the what? The humble with salvation. That Hebrew word in that text, one, uh, Psalm 149 verse 4, is for, for humble, is the word anawim. Uh, and the anawim, and this is the thing that's kind of a debate among the scholars, they, they know that there was this at least a mindset, whether or not it was a, a subculture or a group of people, still open to debate. But it was, a, 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 they're all agreed, that it was a mindset among a certain set of Jewish people during the time of Jesus. And the Anawim were the pious poor. They were the ones that spent a lot of time at the temple. They, they were known sometimes as the downtrodden. They were people that were completely dependent on God. They were the lowly. If you were a widow or you were an orphan and you did not come from an affluent family where there were not means, there were not resources for you to live on, you were part of the Anawim. You were the lowly. We're talking about very, very humble people. And notice what Mary says when she hears that the Messiah is going to be born through her womb into the world. We just sang about it. In Luke chapter 1, verse 48, God has been mindful of the what? The humble state of His servant. She's talking about herself. He has seen my, my spirit, my disposition, my perspective on life. It is humble. The humble state of your servant from now on, all generations will call me blessed. You know, part of the evidence that, that Mary was part of the Anawim and perhaps Joseph too was that when it, you know, that they were, they were lowly in their financial status is that when it came time for, for Mary's purification, they could only afford the, the least expensive, the, the minimum uh, sacrifice that could be made for her purification. And so for Mary, you know, getting married to someone like Joseph with a profession... He's an artisan. He is an architectone. He is a, a, a worker with hard substances. To have somebody like that that you can be married to is, 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 is a way to get a lot of security, a way to get some kind of a foundation under you. And when the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, shows up out of the blue and says to Mary, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 28. Mary, in verse 29, becomes a little bit troubled. She's a little bit troubled that this angel has shown up. And the reason is, whenever the, the angel shows up and says, the Lord 
is with you, it usually means that there's this tremendously difficult task that's down the path, down the road. Some, somewhere in your coming days, there's going to be this tremendously difficult task that you're going to have to do. In the name of God, for God. You remember back in the Old Testament, right before Gideon is sent out to fight those Midianites, he's hiding. He's not a man that has a whole lot of courage to stand up to his enemies. And this angel shows up to him while he's hiding. And what is it that the angel says to Gideon before he sends him out to fight the Midianites? He says, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And Mary knows that a pretty big challenge was on the heels of this greeting. The Lord is with you. I mean, how many times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, does an angel of God show up and say, the Lord is with you. And now your life is going to be a piece of cake. The Lord is with you. Now life is going to be easy. The Lord is with you. It's going to be an easier life. It's going to be a more comfortable life. You never find that anywhere in Scripture. What it is is a call to servanthood and not to comfort. And God has sent His angel Gabriel to speak to this young woman who is at her prayers to, to do something big in her life that is going to change history. She didn't expect it. She's living her life. She's getting married. She loves God. And God has interrupted her life. She thinks that she's going to be spending the next several weeks getting ready to spend the rest of her life with Joseph. And she is. But God is going to interrupt her plans and interrupt the, the, the way that she saw her, her days unfolding throughout all of her life. Which kind of makes an interesting question for us, don't you think? When was the last time you allowed God to interrupt your life? And you're traveling down the road of life, you're driving really hard. You got things to do. You got goals that you have to meet. You got responsibilities. And all of a sudden, God interrupts your life. Or maybe it's your desires. There were some things that you really wanted in this life, but God has interrupted that a little bit. Or interrupted your schedule, or even at, at the tiniest little piece of your day, interrupted your agenda. You know, in our world, especially in the Western world, the Western technology-driven world, the more important that you are, the more you have risen up the corporate ladder, the more important you are to the company, the less interruptible you are. Right? There is a correlation between being very, very important and how easy it is for people to get to you. And you have secretaries who are always going to be making sure that they are kind of that last line. They are the Balkans between your office and an interruption. And even on our smartphones, you pull out your phone, you can see who it is that's calling you. You have caller ID. And if you don't want to take that phone call, if you don't want to be interrupted, and sometimes you shouldn't be interrupted, but if you don't want to take that phone call, don't want to be interrupted, you just put it on silent and you go back to what you're doing. Or if you don't want to even look at the caller ID, you just turn the phone off and you let it go to voicemail. There are answering machines. There are assistants. There are people that, that, that work to make sure that your day is uninterrupted. In fact, having, you know, being able to screen those interruptions has become oftentimes a very important and essential part of our life, at least the way that we think of it. 
But here's the thing. When I think about this very moment, this, this, this maybe 10-minute segment in, 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 in all of the millions of minutes that have transpired in history, God has come to this, this young woman. And He said, through this angel, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you are going to become pregnant with the Son of God and He is going to be born into the world through you. And here's the thing. No great movement of God ever began with human agenda. Every great movement of God began with a God agenda. You have Abraham who's out, you know, tending his crops one day. He's, he's, he's minding his own business and God shows up while he's living in Ur of the Chaldees. He says, Abraham, I want you to pack all of your stuff up and I want you to leave your family here in Ur of the Chaldees and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And he takes the long way, but he gets there and God leads him into the promised land. And history was changed because of God's agenda that was allowed to interrupt Abraham's life. And then there's Moses. I mean, Moses thought that he was doing pretty well when it came to doing God's will. And about the time that he's 40 years of age, when he's really got all of that strength and he's got that drive and he's got all of that, that energy going for him and he's educated to, to a place where at least you know he's got some, 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 uh, some smarts about him, he blows everything up. And messes up. And he, he leaves Egypt and he's out in the middle of the, the Midian desert. And about 40 years later, after he's gotten used to being with sheep, out in the desert without water, got a family, grown kids, sees a burning bush. And he turns to his wife and says, you know, that's, that is a crazy thing that's happening out there. I need to go see it. And he goes, and the next thing he knows, he's tearing his shoes off because he's on holy ground. And God is saying, you, Moses, are going to go back to Egypt. And he gives, Moses gives him every reason in the world not to go back. I'm, I'm, I'm too busy taking care of these sheep. The people there, they don't know me. They don't know you. Nobody knows anybody's name in these parts anymore. In Egypt, it's all forgotten. And God just patiently, patiently, patiently works with Moses until He gets Moses on His way back to Egypt with His brother Aaron, who, by the way, had an interrupted life as well. We've already talked about Gideon. Gideon, you have to get off the floor. You have to get up and face the Midianites. And even in this story, when we, we look at Matthew and Luke's account of the Christmas story, there are lives that are getting interrupted. Think about the wise men. They've been traveling maybe for two years following a star. I mean, they're, they're, they've got business out there in the east. And all of a sudden, this star gets a hold of them. And they can't stop thinking about it. And it won't go away. And they, they finally begin to start following it. Maybe two years later, they end up in Jerusalem. A short time after that, they end up in a town. It's, it, it's like us one day deciding that, you know, we're going to follow this star, and we end up in Moose Jaw of the Northern Territories of Canada. I've never heard of those places, but the star led me. The shepherds sitting around the fire talking about how terrible their lot is, the fact that they're poor shepherds. And an angel, and then angels show up and direct them to Bethlehem. 
Mary. And there's Joseph. Joseph thinks that he's going to be a carpenter and he's going to have all of these sons and it's just going to be kind of this normal life and nobody's ever going to hear about him in Nazareth. It's just going to be an under-the-radar kind of life. And the next thing you know, in a dream, he's being told, no, 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 what you're thinking, Joseph, is not right. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife because that baby inside of her is the Son of God. There were people that were saying yes all over the pages of the Old Testament and New Testament to God's interruption in their life. But there were those that said no, right? There were those that said no. Herod said no. There is this, uh, this little piece that W.H. Auden writes. It's, it's about Herod on, on the eve of the massacre, massacre of the innocents in Bethlehem. He, he climbs the stairs into his citadel and he looks out over the, the valleys, the Kidron Valley and the, the Tyropian Valleys, and he looks off into the distance of the greatness of the kingdom of Israel, that he is king by permission, by Rome, but in charge nonetheless. And W.H. Auden has, uh, writes down in, in, on, on paper this thought that Herod has. Why did this child have to be born now? So what about us? What about us in the 20th century? Do we allow our life to be shaped by God in such a way that, that it can be interrupted? That we can find a break in our stride in order to, to turn or to stop or to, 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 go, to, to veer to one side in order to do the thing that God has called us to do? Is our life the kind that God can break into for His purposes? Well, for that to happen, there are a couple of things. Number one, we have to be able to accept a spiritual truth. The spiritual truth is this. For nothing is impossible with God. For nothing is impossible with God. Say that with me. For nothing is impossible with God. Say it again. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is beyond the scope of of God's power. The problem is, is that we allow our lives to be fenced in. We allow our lives to be corralled in such a way that we find ourselves getting so deeply embedded into the ruts of our own track that it's hard for that wagon to jump out. There's this story that's told about uh, there was a, a son camel and a father camel and they're having a conversation. And the son says to the father, Dad, why do we have these two big humps on our backs? Why in the world would, would, would God make us this way? And the father says, well, you know, we live out in the desert. And in the desert, there's not very much food. There's not very much water. And we have these humps in our back. They're kind of like suitcases. They're, they're like coolers. We're able to put food and drink in these humps so that we can exist for a long time out in the desert. The son goes, I never thought of that, but that, how wondrously we've been made. How great it is that God has made us. But one more question, Dad. How come we have these big, long eyelashes? Father said, that's a very good question, son. The reason is because we live out in the desert. And there is all kinds of wind out in the desert. It seems like half the desert is in the wind half the time. And because of that, all we have to do is kind of close our eyes and those eyelashes act like filters. And we're able to see and we're able to move around in the desert even in a dust storm and our eyes are protected and we're safe. 
And the son said, again, some of the most amazing things I've ever heard in my life, how great God has made us. And he said, one last question, Dad. How come we have such big feet? We have the biggest feet I've ever seen on anything that walks around on four legs. Why? And the dad says, you know, men and other animals, it's, it's really easy for them to sink down in the sand. That sand is very loose. But we've got these big feet. The reason that God has given us these big feet is for us to be able to stand on top of the sand and not sink. And the son says, we camels with all of our equipment are really something, aren't we? Just one more question. With all of this equipment and all of the ways that we've been blessed, what are we doing in the San Diego Zoo? preacher in the early 1900s, Harry Emerson Fosdick, insisted that Christ came not only to convict us of our sins, but to convict us of our possibilities. With God, there is nothing that is impossible. And one of these days we will get our lives somehow lined up with that truth the way that Mary did when she said in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. If you really truly believe that there is nothing that is outside of the power of God's hands and that that God who has called you is going to equip you and enable you to do what it is that He calls you to do. It may be to share your faith with somebody. It may be to be very generous with your resources. It may be to hand out a cup of cold water to somebody. It may be to put your arm around somebody who's suffering and grieving. But it's not something that you're normally used to doing. But God will give you the strength to do that regardless of how simple and easy it might look to somebody else, but how it looks like you're jumping off a cliff in your own heart. He will give you the strength to do it. But the thing that stops it, the thing that stops it, is when we refuse to say, I am the Lord's servant. And when we say, you know what? I'm the Lord's servant, but it's sort of, we just, it's lip service then it just makes answering that phone or answering that other thing all that more easy than answering the call of God in your life. The second thing, and then we'll, we'll end with this. We accept not only a spiritual truth, but we accept a spiritual task. The point of the matter is, is that at some point, Mary is, I mean, the whole scenario is running through her head. I mean, just imagine the velocity of thought as this angel comes to her. And I mean, she just, rapidity of thought of what is going on, what is going on, what is going on, what is going on. And at some point, she has to stop and she has to surrender. May it be to me as you have said. I'm the Lord's servant. There are two words in Greek. One of them is uh, diakonos, which means servant. The other is doulos, which means slave. Which one of these words do you think helped Mary surrender her will to God, her life to be interrupted by God like this? She says, I am a doulos, I am a slave. Even if it means that for as far as I can see, it's going to be downwardly mobile. You know, I don't know what it is about America great country, 
But we can't go down and we can't go backward. Or it's a failure. I have a friend who's no longer alive, is a mentor to me in ministry. Had a, a gigantic church that he was preaching for. Had a, a, a six-figure salary, had all of the perks, had everything going. He, he, he had uh, just, you know, he'd been in ministry at that particular church for over 20 years. I mean, he, he was just kind of in this groove. But he would tell you that it was a rut. And one day, the Lord called him to a church that had less than 100 people in it and did not even have its own building. They were meeting in a school, which meant that this guy who was nearly 60 years of age at the time was going to be stacking and unstacking chairs and hauling tables and pulpits and songbooks every Sunday. He lost half of his salary and all of the perks, all of the benefits. But he said something to me that has, I quote him all the time. In fact, many of you have heard me say this to you. I got it from him. He said, there is nothing that brings greater joy or, or greater satisfaction than being in the middle of the stream of God's will for your life. I don't know about you, but I want every day when I wake up to say, there's nothing impossible to God. And after that, I want to say, I am the Lord's servant. And right after that, I want to say, may it be to me as you have said. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And maybe there are some ways that our, our, our congregation can help you to, to connect with God in such a way that you know that you're in the stream, in the middle of the stream of God's will for your life. And, and to find that ministry or to find, find that, 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 that spiritual vocation out in the community where you're serving people to the glory of God. Or it might be, or it might be that you haven't really thought that it would be possible that God could forgive somebody like you. You know, I hear it all the time. I hear people say, you know what, God can never forgive a person like me. God could never forgive the things that I've done. I know the kind of person that I am. My world, my heart, my life, my soul, my mind, so dark. I've done so much bad in my life that not only could God not forgive me, God would never want to forgive me. But here's the thing. If God is willing to allow His Son, His only Son, His only unique Son, who wants to go, who, who is volunteering to go, if that God will allow that Son in love to come knowing that this Son is going to take all of our sins on Himself in order for us to be forgiven, as Paul will say in Romans, how much more will He not keep anything away from us that we need? God forgives. God forgives. You know, the, God does not send anybody to hell. 
That may sound as a shock because the Bible talks about hell all the time. I don't believe that God sends really anybody to hell. You know what I believe? I believe that we choose it. I believe that we choose it. God's Son died on the cross in order to make forgiveness available. It's there. It's there. The problem is, is that we don't access it. We don't accept it. We don't embrace it. We don't, we don't, we don't drink it into our lives. We don't revel in it. We don't swim in it. We choose instead to believe that these things that have, have, have been done probably a billion times in the past and will be done a billion times in the future regard, you know, in light of the future that God gives us, none of, the stu- and none of the stuff that we do surprises Him. But what we're really saying is that at the heart of this thing is my sin, which is not unique, which is not special in any way, it's just my sin, is greater than God, the creator of the heavens and earth, who not only created the heavens and earth, but created you. And when you get right down to it, it it boils down to the fact that we have too much pride when it comes to our own sin. And it's pride that separates us from God. How dare we think that someone who is offering us this kind of love, this kind of presence, this kind of gift, and if we were to choose it, would, would snicker and laugh as and say, I was just joking. No, it's real. It's true. It's the reality. The problem is, is that we cling to it too tightly. Now, I'm telling you before God, as a, a witness of His, His Word and the testimony of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that you can find forgiveness and a cleansed soul, and you can find a hope of heaven every day in your life and relationship with God that is as real, in some ways more real, than the people that are sitting next to you in this aisle, if you will accept His gift of grace, forgiveness, and mercy. While Ben's leading us in this song right now, we're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, the greatest gift that you can receive this Christmas, gift of forgiveness. The gift of forgiveness. And if you want to hear more about it or you want to receive that forgiveness, we want you to come down to the front and to talk to these shepherds as we stand and sing together. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth re-